Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Shelby Mongan. Shelby, how are you? You know, I'm just straight chilling in the tubes of the internet. <laughs> as good as you can be right now in 2020, the year sent directly from hell uh, to test us all, Hercules style, um, into becoming the, I guess, gods that we were meant to be. Uh, you know, as good as I could be. Now, apparently, the tamale guy is on a ventilator. No, he was just about to open a new restaurant, too. He had a storefront. He was going to open a tamale restaurant. This is this is just... We are in the worst timeline. <laughs> Exhaust. Roxanne! Yeah. <laughs> but tamale guy, for context, tamale guy is a kind, lovely man with a cooler strapped to his chest that wanders into bars at, like, one in the morning, and the cooler is full of hot tamales, and he sells them for, like, a dollar a piece, and there is not a human being who has been in a bar ever who does not love Tamale Man. He is amazing. He has been a mainstay. I mean, he's been in a mainstay for a long time because I remember seeing him in college here, um, and he was not new to the scene when that was the case. So, um he, uh, I hope he gets, hope he recovers fully, uh, and I hope he gets to open his restaurant so that we can have his lovely tamales in one place. <laughs> Nothing good can live in this so, world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're the people who are left behind. I mean, I'm not sure. It must be a clerical error on your part, but I, when, you know. Yeah. For me, it's like, yeah. It's, it's revelations. We're, it's, yeah. we're in the time. Later on in this episode, Shelby, I'll be talking with Donnie Phillips. Uh, Donnie and his uh, co-developer, they worked on the game Project Blue that has been out uh, for a little while now, but they're just recently working on a physical release of the game. It's an 8-bit Nintendo-esque, or I guess I should really just say like Nintendo platformer. So uh, we'll hear from him a little later on. But first... You and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Yes, and in a break of tradition, we watched something that was good. We had a pretty good run because we were watching, uh, we watched both the, like the video game related episodes of Gravity Falls together. We mm -hmm. watched an episode of Steven Universe together. And then we went down a dark path. Yeah, I think my brand on the show, aside from like chief Overwatch correspondent, is to either watch absolute hot garbo or wonderful children's television <laughs> and nothing in between. <laughs> and luckily, we went to the wonderful children's television well today because we're going to be talking about Craig of the Creek. Who's going to help when the ginger overwhelms and the mysteries of piles high? Yes, a show that I remember hearing a lot about um, and hearing some buzz around, but I just never got around to watching it. It's one of those things that I think if I had had cable, I might have been more inclined to like, oh, I'm going to pop it on because it's on demand or it happens to be on 
Cartoon Network or whatever. I heard a lot of hype around it, though, and um, if this episode is any indication, the hype is totally warranted. Yeah, this episode we're talking about today is Power Punchers, Season 1, Episode 27, original air date, October 2nd, 2018. And yeah, these are uh, the executive producers are Ben Levin and Matt Burnett, and how I became aware of the show is uh, they were both people who worked on Steven Universe. And so after a certain point, they split off to work on their own series together. And this is what we get. The most wholesome, heartwarming. I I want so... And the this is the funny thing. So when we watch shows, generally speaking, when you and I watch stuff, particularly for screen watching, we are watching something either we're familiar with or is so explicitly episodic that it doesn't really matter if we don't have a storyline. Like, you and I are both familiar with Gravity Falls and Steven Universe. We've watched, you know, a lot, if not all of them. Um, and, like, like NCIS and, <laughs> the, the like, those kind of shows, it doesn't really matter. This, watching an episode of Craig of the Creek in the middle of the season... I just, I now I want to go back and watch it from the beginning. There's so many little gags and little things. Why does one of his friends have a son that is a rock, for example, that I really want to understand that I just don't have any context for? But it was so, it's, this show is so charming. It truly is. It's like the closest I've seen to like a slice of life show since, at least for Western audiences, like Hey Arnold. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I turned on um, the other day when we were on, I was just recently on vacation, and we happened to have access to DirecTV, and I couldn't find anything to watch, and I saw Hey Arnold was on, and I watched an episode, and it was the um, it was the Monkey Man episode, if you remember the one where Andy Dick played the um, slightly uh, mentally unhinged teenager who ate bananas and hid at the docks. And it was a strange revisit, but it was it was, you know... It's still good. It's fun to watch these kind of family, normal family shows. Not Nothing extraordinary, no supernatural, anything like that. Just like a cool, wholesome family being adorable and wholesome together. Really, the only fantastical element I, I felt was in this episode is that older teens were nice to the adolescents. But I think there's a fun nuance. So I'm, we'll talk about the plot of it. But the nuance of like they weren't cool older teens. So at least there was someone <laughs> they could like have some authority over or like have be cooler up to. Um, and I think that is the number one way that you see teens being cool to like, I'm assuming like eight or nine year old. I don't know how old the kids are in the show, but something like that. Me neither. But as you alluded to, yeah, we should set the, uh, the planks here. So Craig is this young kid, uh, in a, in a family of five, he's got two siblings, but we mostly just see his dad, who is uh, named Daryl and voiced by Terry Crews. In, in uh, peak Terry Crews, too. They had to draw him with muscles. Like, that must have been an agreement by Terry to, like, be on the show. Um, and one thing, we'll probably, I mean, we don't need to get super into this, but I will point out, too, that something that made me very, very, that, that was really cool to watch is that it's a black family, specifically. Obviously voiced by Terry Crews, but the the family is black, and there's a really, there's some really interesting, sweet dynamics and some uh, representation while not necessarily playing into, like, concrete stereotypes that I thought was really, like, even just in a single episode, you could see that, and that was quite lovely. If you go back to Steven Universe where they started on, like, the, the pizza family on there, like, they 
they were presented in, as an all-black family in the town of Beach City. And, like, they had their unique uh, imprints on the town there, but it wasn't like they were the black family. And, we, yeah, you see that here as well. Yeah, also they weren't the main characters. Like, I think there's... The cool thing about this is that it's a show about them, and it's completely normal, and it's just neat. It was, like, a cool little bit. And there's little things, like, there's a moment where um, the dad is doing the little girl's hair that was like absolutely precious just like putting your hair up in buns and just little like just really cute little family interactions that were sweet and and a neat little it it didn't have to be it was representation in that it was just a thing that was true it was just about a black family with a seemingly diverse ish group of friends including a rock child You know, in another episode, they all meet some other older, uh, like, kids who are, uh, like, they're witches. Cool. I, I'm seriously, I'm going to go watch this show because I don't get, I want to know more. Like, I just really, I'm really enjoying the vibes of the show um, from the first episode. And I, I'm really excited to, um, or from the episode that we saw, I'm really excited to watch from the beginning. And in this particular episode, they start out with uh, Daryl and Craig coming together right before bedtime to play one round of Power Punchers, which, uh, oh man, this game has so many like little like trivia gaming references. I, I was in love immediately. Like the fact that it's got a copyright of 97, they're playing on what looks to be like a Sega Saturn, stuff like that. Yeah, and it is a fight, to be specific, it is a fighting game. So in very much in the like... Mortal Kombat, Tekken, Soul Calibur, if you want to go more recent. But like, it, so a, a fighting game from the 90s with all of the trappings of ridiculous, overly styled, overly themed. It almost kind of reminded me of a mix of like Mortal Kombat and like wrestling games where because the gimmicks for all the characters were so aggressively gimmicky in a very cute and fun way that it, yeah, it just felt like that kind of happy medium of the two. Yeah, because like you can see that contrast between the the gimmicks or the characters that they choose. So uh, Craig is playing as Admiral Ankar, which is this like seven foot tall woman who is like kind of a goth uh, sea navigator. And then uh, the dad, Daryl, is playing as Kid Jammer, who is basically just skate from Streets of Rage 3. My favorite is they talk about when they both are picking in the first scene where they play, they're talking about why they pick the, why they like their characters. And Craig is like, she's tall. Like, that's his only reason is that she's (laughs) tall. Because he's a child and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he likes the big, tall pirate lady. And I think that is dope because I also. He's discovering things about himself. I would, well, yeah. And things that I already know about myself, which is that, yeah, 100% always go with the big, tall pirate lady. And, uh, yeah, they, they have their fight, the first of a few in the episode, and uh, Daryl womps Craig. And there's a really great moment in there where, like, he he does this little parry move, which just kind of looks like a, a slap. Mm-hmm. And he says predictable, which is this very, very specific reference to this other character named Geese Howard, who uh, he had a parry move in the SNK games, uh, like King of Fighters and Fatal Fury. And he would say predictable, which is uh, how the Japanese voice actor would pronounce predictable. Very, very good. Excellent. I am a fan. So Craig is like kind of bummed because his dad rubs it in a little bit when he wins. And then he doesn't feel like he really has a chance to sharpen his blade because he only gets to play once 
uh, after dinner, after completing all his homework each night. Right. But he finds another possible route. Another route of the geek squad, <laughs> the three dudes that they run into. <laughs> so it seems like they are normal teens that are characters in the show. I'm wondering if maybe they are passing friends with Craig's older brother um, or like are actively not friends. I We're going to have to watch more of the show for more context. But some um, typically and they, these guys, these three teens, um, in particular, the one that ends up kind of mentoring Craig through the game is they're very much the stereotype of the nerd in these kind of shows where they are dorky and weird and awkward and speak like they're, you know, they're just on their off time from a LARP, but the way that like outside people see them. And I was poised to be like, ugh, this again. But they were great. <laughs> they were actually awesome. The two guys resisting and the one guy being like totally into it and wanting to like share his gaming knowledge ended up being a great uh, mix. Well, it's very like this is and this is a real thing that I feel like happens in least at least in some capacities where the, the, the kid that got excited that decided to teach Craig how to play better so that he could beat his dad was so excited that someone else played this game from 1997 that no one else was playing. Like, his excitement was, I have this huge passion for this thing that no one does anymore because it's on the universe equivalent of, like, a Sega Saturn, and no one has one anymore, and no one plays it. You know who plays it? People his dad's age. Um, so that was, like, that was a very sweet, genuine moment of not only, like, oh, do you actually play this? I found someone else that plays this game, and I can help you because I have obsessively trained at this game in the way that only, like, dudes like him would. And that's a great point, too. Yeah, like, some aspect of nerdiness is being... Uh, entertained or like passionate about things that have like long since fallen out of style like the like a a 90s kid a kid growing up in the 90s being a fan of star wars pre like phantom menace that would be like the nerdiest thing you could imagine like reading those those books that like came out and for him like a kid this age like playing a game that came out in the 90s for like a system that was popular for like never in the u.s you know yeah makes him you can see why he's also not wearing a shirt and a viking helmet yeah exactly and it's like the other thing too that i love about this is that there's no this is my thing gatekeepy you're bad at this it's just like i have someone i can teach i want to teach him and later when craig gets really good at the game he gets he's happy like you have surpassed me you have unlocked your final form it's very like anime sensei teaching the like young upstart how to battle and it's i i just i found that whole interaction completely charming he's like well that was very uh free-spirited of you <laughs> when he's like so, just terrible at the cave so he's so kind yeah because craig is like and now it's time for punches and he just punches the he just button mash punches the open air nowhere near the other guy and it's great and then he introduces him to like finishing moves which craig whose dad we find out why later but whose dad never taught him how to play the game well he didn't introduce to him like really some of the core pieces of playing a fighting game outside of button mashing, which is understanding combos, doing your finishing move, like doing your super move, doing all that stuff. This <laughs> hapless nerdy teen decided to help Craig uh, learn learn the proper ways um, to become his own Sonic Fox style master. <laughs> 
And uh, they then have round two, Craig and Daryl. And this time, Craig is like really amped to get in there and have the rematch. And Daryl is pretty, you know, he, he picks up pretty much right away, like what happened. But he plays it. He plays a coy a little bit. Yeah. You know, like, it, yeah, it, Craig does a lot better this time, but still loses. In the way that dads do. And, and the context of this, too, is like this is a game that is kind of his thing with his dad, his reward for finishing his homework at the end of the night. It's kind of their bonding thing. And so there's no reason, as far as, as Daryl is concerned, that he should know anything else about the game or know how to do these things. Because it's also not like he's looking it up on the internet. Um, I guess they don't have gamefacts.com or anything like they don't have places they don't have a reddit to look things up or he's too young or whatever but he wouldn't have any reason to learn these things so he starts to pick up that something fishy was going on it's definitely interesting on daryl's part because like he doesn't jump to hey you've been playing the game when you weren't supposed to be that's in violation of the rules it's hey were you playing the game with someone else (laughs) right right which starts to hint at the actual like the actual conflict and emotional core of the episode after that, uh, we, we jump ahead a little bit in time, and the older kid and Craig's friends are coming over now to Craig's house to continue to practice. And at first, Craig is pretty... I will just point out one of my favorite dumb moments of this episode. The reason that they have to come over to Craig's house to practice is because one of the three teens has a video date with a adorable, like, seemingly Middle Eastern, maybe, or Indian girl... And they cut to him sitting in their, like, clubhouse in front of the laptop with a drink. Like, it's lovely to see you. And he cheerses the computer and pours the drink on the computer, which then sparks and turns off. And I just, like, it was precious because <laughs> she seemed happy to be on the video it with him. It was awesome, yeah. He ruined everything. It was very, like, it was a, that was an amusing smash cut to his forlorn video date that went poorly. I'd like to think he was just so caught up in the moment and the romance, and that's why he spilled his drink yeah. all over the keyboard. And- no, I think it was a sincere, like, it was played as, like, a sincere, I was trying to be cool and got caught up in the moment, and then just, you know, that's why we don't try to be cool kids. We <laughs> embrace the flailing. Never be cool. No, embrace the flailing limbs, right? Like, it's just part of <laughs> part of our nature. First, Craig is, like, going to kick the... Uh, everyone out of the house but then the older kid's like well i could teach you admiral anchor's super move craig is very interested in that they start to learn it and it's it's, i I love like the training montage of like quarter circle half circle quarter circle half circle. doing it with their bodies (laughs) like moving the entire controller a quarter quarter circle and then a half circle very very sensei training montage when uh daryl comes home uh and so Craig goes about hiding things and Daryl, again, instantly perceives what happens and does that thing that I assume the parents do where it's like you want the kid to fess up and so like you give them the out to like explain. But then just Craig is digging himself deeper and deeper instead. The giving them an opportunity to not lie and then watching your child proceed to lie. <laughs> but again, though, it's not like. He was necessarily upset that Craig was using the video games on non-scheduled times. It was like he had friends over that were also playing Power Punchers with Craig. And that's what has got the dad upset. Right. Well, and then the, the eventual reveal in that is that they that that he used to play Power Punchers with Craig's older brother. And eventually Craig's older brother 
who was younger than him at the time, which is a great, <laughs> a great <laughs> joke, um, uh, got good at the game, good, good enough at the game to beat their dad. And then as soon as he did, he was no longer interested and they stopped playing together. And so it's this thing where the dad thought as long as the you know my as long as my kid has something to reach for which is beating me he'll keep hanging out with me which is so like it made me want to call my dad after i watched this episode <laughs> like yeah. it was very sweet because it was very pure it wasn't like i want to beat down my kid because that was kind of the impression earlier was that the dad was gloating that he was so much better than his kid at the game and it's revealed, no, it's not that he's necessarily so much better and, and he wants to go to be a jerk, but it's that it's like he keeps, he needs to keep the kid interested in the game because he wants quality time with one of his kids, which is really sweet. What a sweet reason. So they play again and Craig wins. Yeah, it's it's like, an, like an, and there's a great moment in there where like, I have not been a parent to my knowledge, but uh, there's definitely a thing when you're, <laughs> Fair, sorry. <laughs> when you're playing with someone else and you're trying to bring them into a game where it's like, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna like hold back a little bit. I'm not gonna go all out. And then there's the moment where the switch flips and it's like, oh, I actually have to like play hard or I'm gonna lose. Yeah. And like they, they have the bar up here on the screen. Oh no. Oh, yeah, I'm for real now. And it like it maxes out. <laughs> it was so good. That was such a cute moment. And they play, but Craig still wins. He does. He beats his dad at his best. And so the Daryl, the dad, is devastated. Like, he is uh, very emotionally vulnerable for a man in front of four children, which, uh, yeah, is uh, probably to his credit. No, that was very... Again, that's one of the things that I like, those little sweet moments of saying, like, you're going to leave me now. Being very vulnerable, being very honest, being very open with his kids, and clearly interested in actually hanging out with his kids. Yeah, and so then Craig kind of like patches things up and is like, no, we could still play. We could try playing with other characters. Oh. And there's a little nice Easter egg there where uh, Daryl's going to play with a tiny boxer who is KO from the cartoon. Okay, KO. Yeah, I thought I recognized them. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, that's another. That's on my list of other <laughs> children's shows I need to watch at some point. But no, when, when Craig says, well, we haven't played as these other characters, my heart just broke in half. Like, it was so sweet. It was such a sweet response by the kid, because clearly he likes hanging out with his dad, too. He was frustrated yeah. at losing, but, like, it's something that they really look forward to doing together at night. And that's very, very sweet. And just, like, a then there's, like, a final half-sensical but hilarious stinger where the little sister, Jennifer is like, I want to play. And then Bernard puts his hand on her shoulder and he's like, soon. <laughs> yeah, I love, I'm sure that that never actually gets fleshed out because this sort of show is always fairly episodic. But I love the idea that he'll like train his little sister in secret so that when he finally, like when Craig moves on to stop playing with his dad and they move on to his little sister, that she is like impossibly good at the game. And <laughs> she seems great. I want more episodes about her because she seems hilarious and i get the impression she's gonna be the little like spitfire little sister style disaffected brother very sincere middle child and then like spunky little sister well yeah this was delightful shelby like i i didn't i'd heard good things about it coming in but yeah this exceeded my expectations yeah this ruled i really it was a beautiful little like shot glass full of 
whipped cream. Like it was just like a, it was really pleasant. <laughs> I definitely am going to go watch more of this show. I, Bill, I cannot stress to you enough how much I want to understand why that guy has a rock child and why everyone around him <laughs> is fine with it and like refers to the rock as his child, not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but an actual rock. Um, refers to it as like him junior. Um, I really, I, I need, I need to understand. So this will definitely be a good, I foresee this being a great, like put on in the background while I'm doing laundry or doing work or like something like that. It's a good, seems like a really pleasant, cheery background show. This is, uh, between this and like, I think OKKO is on there and there's like a bunch of other good stuff on that service. This is making me want to get HBO Max, like, this has a lot of the stuff that I never caught not having, you know, cable television for like a decade. And now I can finally catch up on it. Yeah, I will say that the fact that they finally relented and allowed people with HBO cable subscriptions to use them, most of them at least, to get access to HBO Max so they could phase out HBO Go was really nice um, because I have been steadily stealing uh, the login information from my father's (laughs) cable for various outlets um, because he's never not going to have cable and he's never going to use his online logins because he only ever watches stuff at home. So I have been using that and it's been really handy to be able to sign in with that. Um, there's There's definitely good stuff on HBO. There's a lot of shows I've... I have missed on HBO explicitly. Like, I still haven't watched Watchmen. I still haven't watched Euphoria. I watch some stuff on there regularly. But um, the fact that they're getting other things into the catalog, it's definitely worth, if you can find someone that has, like, if you have a family member that has a cable login that they don't care about you using, I think it'll be worth, it'll be worth getting into HBO Max. This isn't supposed to be an HBO Max commercial. It just turned out that way. True. Yeah. Yeah. This is the HBO Max commercial. Hey, Shelby, uh, you know, there are a lot of streaming options out there these days, but there's one that really comes across the most as like with the premium options for animation and drama and comedy and movies, and that's HBO Max. And this month, if you use so many bits as your invitation code, you will get 10% off your first one year subscription. So make sure that when you sign up for HBO Max, use the So Many Bits invitation code and get that discount. Wait, really? <laughs> oh my God, if only. I know. That's why I was confused. I thought you were going to pivot on that and be like, it's Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be, I mean, 10% is only so much, but that's the way to hook everyone in. That was like, Bill's racking in the big dollars. Damn. Yeah, there you go. You know what you do is now take that audio and send it to the the overlords at AT and T <laughs> that own HBO and be like, "You must now pay me. <laughs> I've advertised for you. Give me your money. Please throw nickels." That's at how me. that works. Yeah, you advertise and then you talk to the company and be like, "Hey, give me money for this advertisement." Uh, otherwise, we're going to start advertising for stars. Pay for yeah. a Stars subscription. Yeah. Actually, Stars does have American God. They have a couple good things on there. Why are this isn't relevant? Shouldn't we be rating the show? <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. Uh, so Shelby, as always, we're going to rate this episode on a scale of six to ten, as you would any uh, video game. So we'll start off with accuracy, and with a six being completely inaccurate, and with a ten being lifelike accuracy. How would you rate the accuracy of the video games portrayed in this episode of Craig of the Creek? 
10. This is great. Kids don't know how to play fighting games, but you can learn. Dads want to play nostalgic stuff that they're already good at with their kids. There's lots of good references. Fighting games are perfect for this sort of thing. There were lots of good like little in jokes. There's always a weird teen who has an interest, a niche interest in a game like that. Yeah, it was great. It 10. This was totally spot on. I got to go with a 10 as well. Like yeah, the the little references that we already mentioned, like there's when the kid pulls out the laptop in the uh, it says game. That's a reference to Mame, which is this popular arcade emulator that's been around for like twenty years. Like the thing looks like a Saturn. The controllers look like Saturns, and like even the bit with the Wi-Fi receivers. I can imagine uh, a, a pretty hip dad getting like the nice Wi-Fi controllers for the retro console. That's a thing you can do. So yeah, we'll go with a ten. Yeah, for sure. Next up is condescension. If you found this to be completely non-condescending, give it a six. And if you found it to be extremely condescending, give it a 10. Six. Like the, so what I loved about this is even the, the normally derided characters in these kind of story arcs, which are like the dorky weird teens or the like dad who is holding something over their kid are both treated with like respect and interest like they there's everyone is 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 no one is not a winner in this like no one is a villain no one is made fun of there's poking fun but i think that feels more like a poking fun at something you understand and something you identify with rather than making fun of something you don't understand yeah uh it's kind of uh predictable but uh gotta go with a six as well you know uh I'm sh- listeners, I am shaking my head. <laughs> Bill can now see me. We have added visuals onto our recording setup, and he can now see me condescendingly shaking my head at him uh, for that joke. <laughs> we have almost clawed our way back to where we were in terms of like podcasting in person together, and now we can see each other again. So It's a miracle. Miracle That's of good. the internet tubes. Finally, Shelby, we have entertainment, and I, I don't know if we're going to deviate too much here either, but if you found this to be completely unentertaining, give it a 6. If you found it to be massively entertaining, give it a 10. I'm going to have to give this a 7. I'm kidding. It's a 10. This was awesome. I loved this episode. <laughs> I love this show. I'm going to go watch more of the show. It was great. Yeah, I loved it. Got to give it a 10 as well. Uh, totally enjoyed it the whole way through. It's 11 minutes. It's a light, breezy, wholesome piece of fluff. Go put it on. Go enjoy it. Go stuff it full in your brain. And if you have any kids, like, either... Do it, stupid! (laughs) Exactly. But if you... Like, also, I would say, too, if you have siblings, if you're nannying, babysitting, if you've got kids, also, like... I, f- I feel like there are lots of options for television shows for kids that suck and are really unpleasant to sit through. Um, but if this is a good this is a good one. Like this is worth turning on. I would be shocked if this is somehow an, an anomaly and that the rest of the show is terrible. Um, this episode, I think, come in kind of pulled from right in the middle. I, I get a feeling this is going to be a good vibe for the rest of the show. Coming from a good lineage, good creators. It does feel very Steven Universe in the joke style in the affection for all the characters like genuine affection for all the characters and sweet family dynamics it seems like it's kind of in that same boat so go check out craig of the creek it's really good yeah uh so at this point we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i'll be talking with donnie phillips about project blue project blue buddha 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 
And we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Donnie Phillips. Donnie, also known as Toggle Switch, has been uh, working on Project Blue. It is out now, available on PC. Uh, so first of all, Donnie, just uh, thank you very much for joining me on the call. Thanks for having me. So I guess just uh, for starters, uh, on the show, we like to give like a brief one to two minute summary of the game that the uh, developer is working on, just to get people acquainted. Uh, can you do that for Project Blue? Uh, so Project Blue is a platformer made for the NES. And in terms of gameplay and mechanics, uh, it's really been kind of stylized after uh, Super Mario Brothers and Mega Man. Uh, so it's kind of an action platformer in that way. And it takes place in a post-apocalyptic Hong Kong after some unknown disaster kind of destroyed uh, the outskirts of the city. And you play as a young orphaned boy who's been kind of kidnapped by this evil corporation who's trying to fight his way out. That boy is named Blue? Uh, yes. Uh, that's the name that he's been assigned by the company that has um, kind of kidnapped him. I see. Uh, does he have a blue house with a blue window? Uh, he has a sister named Violet who they have captured before they captured blue and Oof. uh so because of that he gets the color-coded naming and they're interested in him because of what they found uh in her dna and that's kind of kind of be the plot of our next game Ooh, okay okay so uh this is a game that plays on a nintendo entertainment system it is built with that compatibility mm-hmm one thing I see with uh, certain, you know, uh, you know, pixel arty platformy projects is like there's a varying degree of, I'd say, like Nintendo ness adherence to like what the actual hardware could do versus like a an interpretation of what the hardware could do. Something like Shovel Knight. Yes, exactly, or, or like uh, you know, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so just when you were beginning Project Blue, did you have an idea of how closely you wanted to hew to that accuracy? And did that change as the project went on? Uh, yeah, so the game was always designed to be able to run on a Nintendo from the start. So that was kind of my main goal, to be honest. When I was a little kid, everybody else wanted to be firefighters or astronauts. I wanted to make video games. And that was, you know, the system that I had access to at that point in time. And so my desire to make a Nintendo game kind of never really went away. And this is the first time that I've, you know, felt like I had the skills available and the amount of community support and documentation is all, you know, in the last 10 years really gotten to a place where doing that is possible. So yeah, we always wanted to make it adhere completely to NES standards and... And in many ways, for me, it's like my 1985 game, if you will. It's the game that you know was being released in the early days of the system, and hopefully, our our coming uh, our next project. I'm hoping to really kind of push the hardware a little more and really take full control of it because there's a lot of stuff. Project Blue, uh, you know, as a first-time programmer, <laughs> there's a lot of things I could have done better, and I'm excited to try that out in our next game. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean the 
Nintendo official releases through Nintendo went on for a decade and games that came out, you know, at the system launch are vastly different than like Mega Man 6 or other mm-hmm. late entries on the platform. So you you deliberately set out to make a more early on uh, title? I did. And the reason for that is, you know, kind of like I was just saying, my, my programming skills weren't great. And um, there just were things that I didn't really see how to do easily with the restrictions of the uh, programming language that you use. Uh, it's very <laughs> esoteric. It's, it's older than I am, you know? So it's a... It's, uh, can be a little weird to work with sometimes. And at first, you know, things like scrolling, for example, just seemed like, oh, well, that's a pain in the ass. So maybe I'll try not to do that and see what it looks like to make a game that is single screen, screen to screen, which, you know, is kind of like if you look at the early Nintendo releases, kind of like what Donkey Kong or the original Mario Brothers, uh, not to be confused with Super Mario Brothers, but just Mario Brothers, um, you know, they're single screen games that are fairly fun. And I was, like, I don't know if people are going to, you know, like a game that's single screen. And then I was checking out Battle Kid. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's another NES homebrew. I know that that one did really well. So there is a space, you know, for that to exist. But for our next game, definitely the first thing I did is implement a scrolling engine that's kind of similar to Super Mario Brothers 3, where you can kind of go up and down, you can go left and right, and so on and so forth. Uh, so it's a lot more flexible and you can create much larger game world spaces, which, you know, obviously really changes what you what you can do. You alluded to something I'd been thinking about recently, actually. Uh, in terms of your, uh, I guess I'll say in terms of my... Uh, view of older games like there's a certain point of no return where it's like uh, a game beyond this point is like I it's almost too old for me to grok and but mm-hmm. is uh, for and so like that cutoff for me is Super Mario Brothers like that is the oldest game where I'm like okay this I can pull this into my modern frame of reference and like it feels the way I would expect a modern game to feel do you have a game like that for yourself I mean, Super Mario Brothers definitely is the first Nintendo game that I ever experienced, and uh, so for many, in many ways, it kind of set the bar of what I was trying to go to uh, in terms of complexity of storyline and you know game worlds. Super Mario Brothers is a very simplistic kind of ideal of a game, you know, platonic ideal of a game. Uh, which is kind of what I was trying to do at first with Project Blue, and I th- think things kind of got a little more complicated and larger than I intended uh, as the project went on. Um, but yeah, Super Mario Brothers might be that for me as well. The oldest game that I enjoy, I'm going to look up how old it is right now, is Jumpman Jr., uh, which is a Commodore 64 game, which was released in 1983. I don't know if it would fit your criteria in terms of feeling like a modern game, but um, it's definitely got a lot of interesting mechanics and it's it's pretty fun to play. I think anything older than that, your Space Invaders and stuff like that, are, are just, they just don't appeal to me. They're too boring. <laughs> <laughs> 
but Jump Man Jr. is like it's kind of an action game, kind of an action platformer in a sense. It's like bullets shooting at you, and you gotta you know run around and jump and avoid stuff and climb ladders and collect things and so on. I'm pretty sure I've seen noted threat Jeff Gerstmann play this on a stream at some point. Okay, yeah, it's uh, I have fond memories of it because at the elementary school I went to. Um, they had a Commodore 64 and during lunchtime you could set up, you could sign up to maybe be randomly selected to be allowed to play a game. (laughs) So kids would crowd (laughs) around the Commodore, uh, which was an old machine even then, you know, it was, even then it was like, this is this old kind of janky machine. Now you didn't, uh, work on Project Blue Solo, uh, noted on your Kickstarter, you uh, also teamed up with Ellen Larson, uh, who contributed a lot of like the, the artwork behind the game. But you also mentioned in the Kickstarter that you two have never met before. So uh-huh. in, in, how did you get connected? Uh, so Ellen is a uh, really impressive pixel artist, and she kind of showed up on the NES dev forums, which is where I kind of learned everything that I know about programming on the Nintendo. Uh, she kind of showed up there around the same time that I was getting started making a game. And at that point in time, um, you know, I'm a terrible artist. And I was trying to teach myself pixel art to kind of be able to make my own game. And I just, because the limitations of pixel art are so, uh, there's so many limitations there, there, it is possible for someone who's really bad at art like myself to make something that's kind of passable. Um, but the issue I kept running across is like make one thing that I was happy with. And then when I tried to make something else, they just looked like they were parts of two different worlds. You know, <laughs> they really like, uh, so I'd have like one section that was like a forest scene or whatever. But if I tried to build a tree that went in it, it just ah, it doesn't look very good. Um, and it just always felt incongruous. So um, around that time, Ellen is, shows up on the forums and she's just posting this amazing work and I want to work with her. And so I started making a demo just for her. And so I stole some pixel art from uh, someone else online who had it posted uh, Creative Commons and was using that for the demo project. So at least the demo could look nice, you know. And Right as I was kind of getting to the place where I was maybe like a week away from finishing that, she posted online, hey, I'm looking for a programmer to work with. And I was just like, oh, I got to send this to her right now. Uh, so I did. And thankfully, you know, she said yes. And um, yeah, it's been really great working with her. She's just such a, such a talented artist. And uh, there's no way I ever could have made the game looked that nice on my own. And then on top of that, you know, she also is uh, instrumental in doing a lot of level design and a lot of, you know, fine tuning the game design and coming up with mechanics. And so it's been a very collaborative, collaborative process between the two of us. And on top of that, she uh, contributed to the Kickstarter with the like attractor video. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she did a great, she made a great video there. It's actually her roommate who is in the video, who I also have never met and don't know at all. 
But yeah, no, it was oh, that. So that's not deal. even her that's the star of that video. It's a, another person, a third party. Uh-huh. That's her roommate. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, so yeah, that, that made me really happy because I was trying to put together a little trailer for us and I kind of whipped up something like, maybe we can have something look like this. And she was just like, leave it to me. And so when I saw what she had done, I was like, oh, that's literally a million times better than what I was trying to put together. So that's great. At this point, Project Blue has been out for a little while, but uh, admittedly part of what brought it to my attention is that there is a new development uh, with the game and that you are looking to physically release it now. So that's uh, been the plan since day one. And this actually was kind of the moment that I went from being like, I kind of want to get into making Nintendo games into I'm definitely going to make a Nintendo game was when I found out that there were actually people who were doing the work that makes it possible for me to release this physically. Like they're creating the printed circuit boards and the hard plastic shells and all that stuff that I would be maybe not incapable of doing myself, but definitely unwilling to, you know, go through all of those different steps. So that definitely was my final inspiration. Um, I've always wanted to be able to physically release a Nintendo game. And so actually I'm sitting in my office right now, surrounded by boxes and boxes full of different things that I need to fulfill uh, <laughs> all the orders that we have. Um, finally to the point where we're shipping out all of the regular editions. I have most of the special editions built, so I still need to package those and all that. And um, uh, yeah, so we're slowly getting those out the door and hopefully we'll be ready to take new orders soon, which will feel like such a weight off my shoulders when we get to that point. <laughs> Out of curiosity, have you attended the Portland Retro Gaming Expo in the past? Uh, yeah, so I've been, I was never that interested in it, uh, personally, um, because I always was of the mind that, like, oh, yeah, there's maybe a hundred guys milling around or whatever. And then when I started working on my game, I was like, well, I should go check that out one year. I didn't realize that it's a 10,000 person party. So I've been the last two years, um, and the first year I shared a booth with a guy named Paul, who runs Infinite NES Lives, which is, he, it's a company that he runs to um, supply people with PCBs and hard plastic shells to make their own Nintendo games. So it's supplying the hardware end of uh, doing a physical release, basically. And so he was really great and helped me make up a few demo copies. I handed those out to some you know, some YouTube personalities in hopes of getting a little bit of buzz going around the game, a little bit of free publicity or whatever. And uh, so that was fun. And then last year I actually went and brought a copy of the game and got my own booth and brought a television and uh, an NES. And so I just had it set up and was just watching people play. And that was great because um, it was a lot of free uh, testing you know, I got to just watch 100 or 200 people of different skills kind of pick up my game and start playing it and say, okay, well, maybe I want to change this or change that based on, you know, how I've seen 100 different people react. And so there was one thing in particular, like three screens in, that literally everybody screwed up, like didn't matter how good they were. 
uh, uh, Nintendo games. They just immediately screwed up this one place. It's like, okay, so we're definitely changing that. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a fun experience, but uh, it's also a little hectic and crazy. Like, I don't actually get to experience the Portland Retro Game Expo because I'm working it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I totally can empathize with what you're feeling like because talking with other people like i've been to pax a couple uh-huh. times uh the one in boston and yeah the people there like they're all very friendly and uh glad to talk but then they're also like Ugh. like they're it, it's a big big obligation to be demoing at a convention it's a grind yeah it's um you know I, there's sometimes when there's you're just crowded by people asking you questions and um yeah, I'm kind of a kind of a cluster clusterphobic shut-in myself, so it can be a bit uh, it can be a, a bit of an intimidating scene, really. Uh, but I really enjoy, you know, getting to meet all the people who are passionate about it and people who are excited to see new Nintendo games. It's just really validating to see that, and it's really exciting to see people who are completely unaware that that's even something that exists and, you know, are excited to be finding it. And every once in a while I get to duck out and watch the Tetris world championships, which is also uh, pretty entertaining to me. Uh, I don't know if you followed that at all, but there's this like 16, 17 year old kid from California. Who's just, <laughs> just destroys the competition. And uh, it's just entertaining to watch. <laughs> oh, I had no idea there was someone that young that was that good at Tetris yeah uh, I, I can mean barely... the game is 15 years older than he is <laughs> <laughs> if I can make it into the top half of the Tetris 99 field I feel like I'm doing alright so yeah <laughs> I felt like I was definitely like the best in my neighborhood as a kid but I see these kids now and I'm just like oh that's just another level altogether you, you sort of alluded to this you sort of mentioned this already but uh, so Another game is coming down the pipe? Yeah, so um, Blue is uh, the younger brother of Violet, and I'm making a game about her right now. Tentatively, we're going to title that one uh, The Violet Sequence. And so it's kind of her also dealing with this evil corporation in post-apocalyptic Hong Kong. And uh, kind of the idea behind this, the way that I feel about it is that like Project Blue, you know, I was trying to make a game that was like, you know, like I was saying, it was like my 1985 game. Uh, with this one, I'm trying to really push it to the next level. You know, Violet's larger than Blue, she's stronger than Blue, she's faster than Blue, so I want to make it. We're going to have scrolling and there's going to be wall jumping and just kind of trying to really up the action and up the interactiveness of the world space and just take everything that I learned from making Project Blue and use it to uh, make something, you know, hopefully that's going to be much better. At this, at the end of working on Project Blue, we'd get to the place where Ellen would be like, ah, oh, do you think we could change this minor thing? And I'd be like, you know, I really don't want to because I'm scared if I make like a tiny edit that the whole thing is just going to fall apart. <laughs> like that was like the state of the code at the end. You know what I mean? And I just was like so done with working with that engine. I'm so done with working with 
all of this programming that was done by you know a first time programming uh, a first time programmer and so now I have all of this experience and I know you know at least a little better how things should be done and that's I'm really hoping to make uh, this next game just something really really special. Not that I'm not happy with the game that I've already made, but was, my intentions for the next one are, are bigger and better, basically. This may be too far down the line to have considered, but do you envision yourself continuing to experiment with the NES canvas, or would you at some point look to move on to a different set of tools? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways that I'm thinking about trying to move forward with it. Um, You know, obviously making Nintendo games uh, is not the most financially lucrative uh, endeavor that I could be taking part in. And one thing that maybe makes it a little more plausible is that we can take the game and shove it inside a Nintendo emulator and then release that on the Switch. Hoping to do that with our first couple of Nintendo games for sure. Uh, One thing that really appeals about the Nintendo to me is that a small dedicated team is in 2020 capable of creating a game that can maybe compete with the uh, commercial titles uh, of the heyday. Whereas I feel like making a game, so for example, making a game that um, competes with Super Mario Brothers, I feel like Project Blue does that, you know? Um, There are ways in which uh, Super Mario Brothers is more advanced, and there are ways in which Project Blue is more advanced. Um, but I feel like there, you know, could be mentioned in the same breath without it being like, oh, well, those games have nothing in common. And then I think if you compare that to something like Yoshi's World or Super Mario or, or Yoshi's Island or Super Mario World on Super Nintendo, then you're getting into a level of polish and quality that's really hard to match. Um, for a two-person team. And so that's something that really appeals about the Nintendo is you can make things that feel like they belong um, in a commercial space uh, without being like a big company. Uh, That said, if I was to move on to another system, it probably would be Sega Genesis uh, because I never had a Super Nintendo as a kid. It doesn't really hold any uh, nostalgic value, value for me. Whereas, you know, Something like Sonic 2 is, uh, is a game that I have a lot of love for, or some other uh, Sega games. What I'm gathering out of all of this, uh, all good points, but especially important, uh, Project Blue uh, ranks up with Super Mario Brothers as one of the greatest video games ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Super Mario Brothers is one of the greatest video games ever made, and... Much in the same way that um, a band can come out with a, an album that's one of the best albums ever made, you know, 30 years later, everybody's going to sound like that. And I think Project Blue is basically taking uh, this level of genius that was Super Mario Brothers and basically saying, well, I can steal that. So I'd say Super Mario Brothers is definitely one of the greatest. Our game, I would be happy to say, is... Um, you know, a, a good homebrew. 
I'm not sure if I should try and squash more of the nuance out of what you're, what you're saying, or that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so Super Mario Brothers is the original, you know, fantastic game, and and I think that's really where the genius comes in is is in creating something new. And once something new is created, it's not. You know, it's not as there's nothing genius about it anymore. You're just saying, "Oh, well, that guy did that, and it works." So now I'm going to do that, and hopefully it'll work too. So yeah, and I, I think there's a whole lineage there of games that kind of lead up to Super Mario Brothers. You know, Donkey Kong, and then the original Mario Brothers, and they're all kind of hey, even Jumpman Junior ties into that lineage. I mean, it, I feel like it does. Yeah, it's a very similar type of game, you know, in its way. <laughs> I'd say it's probably more of a Donkey Kong based uh, in its physics and everything, but I believe that Mario was still called Jumpman at that point in time, so I don't know if there's some connection there or not, because it's definitely not a Nintendo game. Yeah, in the original Donkey Kong, that was Jumpman. Um, and there is even a, a, a Commodore game called Jumpman as well, but it's, it's, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's just a little too old for me. It doesn't have that nostalgic connection that Jumpman Jr. does, so it just feels like, well, this is okay. All right, Donnie, I have one last question before you uh, get on that old dusty trail. Uh, With all the guests I have on so many bits, I try and, uh, you know, identify this communal knowledge we have of Pokemon, whether you played the Game Boy games or you played Pokemon Go or you watched the cartoons. I feel like everyone has some awareness of the franchise. With that in mind, I have to ask you if you could have one Pokemon as a pet, one Pokemon you could be, and one Pokemon you could eat, which would they be? I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say I'm probably the worst person to answer this question because my knowledge of Pokemon is painfully low. I think I'm going to have to go with as a pet a Pikachu. And not for any particular reason other than it is kind of cute and it's one of the two that I know. And then I feel like the other Pokemon that I'm aware of existing is the Charizard. Am I saying that right? Yep, Charizard. I only know of that one because I feel like maybe the trading card game version of it is valuable or something, but I might even be off base there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when we were... A long time ago, it may still be this way, but definitely back when the Pokemon card game was like fresh, the holographic Charizard was like the the rarest, most valuable card or the most desirable okay. card out there. Yeah, so that's that's how I know that one. And that guy, you know, it seems kind of badass. I feel like I could be one of those and not be too ashamed of my physical form. Uh, the which one would I eat? I don't know. Is it messed up to both have a Pikachu as a ch- pet and eat it too? Because like. Because like I said, I only know two. So then the other option is like being a cannibal. (laughs) (laughs) And there's other ones that I would recognize their existence. Well, how about this? If there's if there's one that you can describe to me, I could tell you its name. Uh, If there's one like that visually, you're like, oh, I'd want to eat that. Ah, wow. I, I honestly don't know if I can. Um, the only other character from Pokemon that I know is Ash. (laughs) probably should not eat ash yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna not say that one 
So I'm going to have to mulligan that last part of the question, unfortunately. <laughs> That's all right. That's totally I, I've never been so shamed of my, my lack of uh, Pokemon knowledge before. Take some time and think about it. And, you know, you can always, you know, for the next interview, we can, we can be ready for that. I'll try, I'll try to be prepared for that uh, utterly hardball question next time. Well, this has been great. Just uh, thank you again for your time. Again, Project Blue is already available on PC. I, I found it on itch.io. Is it out on any other platform? Uh, that's where it's available right now. We're going to have it in some online shops as well, uh, but I can't promise when. Probably a couple months from now. And if people want to get uh, updates on the game and just how you're doing in general, where can they get them? You can always contact me and join our mailing list. My email address is pragmaticfanatic at gmail.com. And you just send me a, a line. I'll uh, add you to our mailing list. And the mailing list is a really basic affair. I'm not going to be you know, spamming the shit out of people. It's basically going to be a one-time message to let you know we have physical copies available and here's where you can get them. And then there'll be another message, you know, two years later that says, Hey, our new game's out. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to try to keep it really, uh, minimal like that. Yeah. Or just keep an eye on our Kickstarter, uh, our Kickstarter page. You can easily find just by Googling project blue Kickstarter. And I update it. Right now, I'm updating it every week as I'm in the process of putting together people's orders. And I just really want to um, make sure that people are reassured that we are going to get them what they've paid for. Uh, since you know Kickstarter doesn't really make you do that, and we are six months late, so I want people not to think that we're ripping them off. So I'm in the process of sending out all those packages and updating regularly. So as soon as we have physical copies in hand, I'll definitely be updating there to let people know hey, you can give us money now. Yeah, those are the two easiest ways to keep up with us. Um, also, our itch.io page, um, if you find it on there, I'll be updating that as well as as things change. So the, the I should say one more. The best way to follow us is to follow Ellen on Twitter because she's actually <laughs> the, the public face of our of our. Uh, team for the most part and her handle is Franken Graphics so if you google that she's the only person who uses that handle and you can find her blog you can find her twitter account and uh, that's the the easiest way excellent Uh, in that case then just thank you so much thank you have a good day We are back from break one more time. Big thanks to Donnie for uh, coming on to discuss the uh, game Project Blue. Uh, Project Blue is already out for sale. Isn't that great? It's out on uh, itch.io. So definitely check it out. Or, uh, you know, we'll we'll see if you can pick up a physical copy somewhere or just maybe it'll show up somewhere else. Who knows? Who could possibly say? No one. Uh, So Shelby, thank you so much for uh, coming on to talk about Craig of the Greek with me. Uh, we'll definitely be having you back on next week to talk about the games you and I have been playing. Before we go, 
Is there anywhere you want people to find you online? Um, so if they go to the dumpster in the back of the Chick-fil-A that is about a mile or so away from their house, they will actually find me eating old chicken nuggets. Uh, I can also be found on Instagram and Twitter at Shelby underscore Fawn, where I do Twitter is mostly just me retweeting stuff that I like and telling artists that I think they're cool. But my Instagram is now full of pictures of my stupid, lovely, ugly old dog who we have had for two weeks and I love her more than I love most humans. So I'm trying not, I've told myself I'm not going to become the sort of person that creates an Instagram for my dog, but I now understand why people do it. Oh, and as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, typically Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central. I've deviated from that a little bit, but uh, normally Wednesday is for single player experiences and then Thursday is for a multiplayer. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. And don't forget to use so many bits at your checkout at hbomax.com. <laughs> Stamps.com. They're stamps. Buy them. 